Hey, this is Daryl here to tell you that the Athletic Podcast Network, of which we are a part, is supported by the Quip Electric Toothbrush, the iPhone of toothbrushes. There's a lot of misinformation about oral care. Truth is, you need only three things to have a healthy mouth. Brush two minutes, twice a day, and replace your brush regularly. And don't swear. The Quip electric toothbrush makes it easy. The timeout with guiding pulses ensures an even clean and brush heads are delivered every three months when you need them. Get your first refill free if you go to getquip.com slash listen. That's getquip.com slash listen. That's getquip.com slash listen. To the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove, and I'm joined by a man who's got all the answers. At least I hope so. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello, my friend. I have a question for you that I feel like you have the answer for. Okay. When you're doing the introduction by yourself, if I'm not with you, do you still do big hand gestures? Because I find it's almost more conducive to being loud to do big hand gestures when doing the introduction. Every time. I'm doing it right now Every with my time. hands in the air. I'm not, I'm not sure if there's science behind this mm-hmm. or even physics, but if you open your body up, you feel bigger. Yeah. Right. Science. Yeah. So big sound, big uh, big arm gestures. And you scare away grizzly bears that could be I in do. the area. So what more do you need? How many grizzly bears have you ever seen in this office? You got me there. there you the go. answer's none. Evidence. Thanks for that. Evidence. Um, all right. Lots to talk about on today's show. We have 10 listener questions. Yeah. We have breaking news. Um, and we also have a little chat about allocation disorder and MLS assist for anyone who's confused. Let's start with the breaking news. Mm-hmm. Tyler Adams is broken. <laughs> he, he is. So this is, is a quick update. News? A quick update to uh, our Champions League preview. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann has said yep. Tyler Adams has a calf injury. He's not going to play this weekend, and he's not going to play against Spurs for RB Leipzig. I, I just want to make sure people know that that's happening. I thought it was really unnecessary of him though to wait until we put out that episode right? and then specifically let Tyler Adams get injured so that our preview of that game was less effective. That's basically what happened. Yeah, that's basically what it's happened. Yeah, so no Tyler Adams for RB Leipzig in the Champions League round of 16 first mm. leg. The actual breaking news. Yeah, at least they'll be in the Champions League. There's yes. that. Manchester City have been banned mm-hmm. from next year's Champions League and the Champions League after that. This is a UEFA ruling after they've looked into financial fair play. This has been going on for a while, right? Because mm-hmm. they've been looking into this for a while. They have found that Man, Man City essentially have cheated on their financial fair play, yes, right? So yeah. I'm sure this is way more detailed than this, but the essential news is that UEFA say that Man City were claiming the level of sponsorship that um, Etihad were providing was not accurate mm-hmm. and that really most of that money was coming directly from Abu Dhabi in right. a way that is, that's not how the money's supposed to flow. Yeah, no, you, you can't have a company that you own when you also own the club then pay 40 times more for like what the bid should be for like a TV contract yep. or an airline contract or anything like that. And uh-huh. that's essentially what they've done. And so this really is breaking news. Mm-hmm. This appeared on my phone on the way into the yep. office. This All we know is right now UEFA is saying Man City, because they've broken financial fair play rules, will be banned from the Champions League next year, banned from the Champions League the year after that. You're forgetting the big one as well, though. What's that? They're also fined 30 million euros. How will they afford that, Daryl? Oh, probably through another Etihad sponsorship. <laughs> exactly. Um, or couch cushions. So... Man City will probably appeal, right? Because yes. their statement going back at UEFA was mm. very much like, it was basically, we'll yeah. see. And right? has been. It has yeah. been since 
this was initially reported by Der Spiegel. Then there was, I think the case was opened in May uh, by UEFA. Yeah. And the entire time they have refuted it strongly, said this is ridiculous, said you all are not investigating properly and this is all made up. Yeah. Or like at best made up and at worst sort of deliberately manufactured mm-hmm. seems to be their uh, narrative. So my guess is they might appeal to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. That's mm-hmm. one angle. But I wouldn't be surprised if they actually go after UEFA in a legal sense mm-hmm. because there's no financial fair play rules about um, how much Abu Dhabi can spend on lawyers, for mm-hmm. example. Yeah. <laughs> so they really could take UEFA to court and, and see what happens. Mm-hmm. But it looks to me like basically they're guilty. Yeah. Uh, no, right? I, th- I, th- I think that seems to be the ruling. And I mean, I feel like it, whenever we're uncertain about the legality of something, we always tend to say alleged. Here it seems like, no, they've been found guilty. They've been deemed mm-hmm. to have done this. And it seems like most of their responses are rooted in sort of like, well, like, yes, you say we couldn't have done this, but really, like, it's fine. Or like, really, yeah. like, we're not breaking any rules. This is how business is always done. And I feel like it's it's sort of, it's still not saying like, no, we didn't do this. Yeah. You all are misrepresenting what happened. And actually, this is, I might be paraphrasing because I'm remembering this from the article. One of Man City's responses was that the, the evidence is based on leaked information mm-hmm. Taken out of context, yes. which is not the same as saying it's not true. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so uh, assuming they actually are banned for mm-hmm. the next two years um, from the Champions League, this is probably massive in terms of yep. the Pep Guardiola project might be over, right? Mm-hmm. I could see Guardiola being like, all right, I'm needed elsewhere. Yes. My work here is done. Yeah. I mean, to, to your point you made off air, it also maybe incentivizes him to go even harder at the Champions League than they were already going to go because yes. this could be like, hey, we won the Champions League, but we're banned next year, so I'm walking away. It's yeah. been fun. Oh, so is it Real Madrid they have in the round of 16? I yeah. think that game's going to be... I mean, that game's massive anyway. Mm-hmm. It's extra massive if this really is Pep's last chance and Man City's last chance for, uh, for a few years. It's even worse timing, though, because it's a Madrid team that uh, don't tend to lose lately, and it's mm-hmm. a Man City team that uh, are not winning as much as they used to. Yeah. Uh, so not in the strongest positions heading into that one. I think a lot of people were already predicting that Real Madrid would win that. Yep. Now, suddenly, maybe it could be a, a quick one-two punch for Man City. <sighs> Other thing with... So Guardiola's future is interesting. Maybe Barcelona, maybe somewhere else mm-hmm. um the champions league qualification spots yep. in england i haven't seen any official ruling but i assume say man city finish second which is mm-hmm. where they currently are in the table distant second but still second um they won't be able to take the champions league spot england don't lose a champions league spot i would assume that. so i would assume that the fifth place team in england will will qualify for the champions league and suddenly this opens up all mm-hmm. kinds of interesting things outside that top four, right? You've got Everton, Sheffield United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester United. There's a lot of teams, even Wolves are level on mm-hmm. points with Man United right now. I don't think it's realistic, but there's a lot of teams that are suddenly like, ooh, Champions League, you say? I would, I would bet more money on Wolves than I would Man United. Yeah, I mean... Me too, but that, that's from the heart, not the pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, uh, suddenly fifth place matters more than it ever has before, yeah. we think, at least. Yep. Uh, I mean, and even if City do appeal, which you would expect them to, just because of all the uncertainty we've already talked about, and if, if they don't, then Guardiola could leave, and they could lose players, and they could not have reinforcements come in. So I would expect that they will, but it, it still stands to reason that UEFA will want to get this resolved as quickly as possible because yeah. they don't want it sort of being another year of, yeah. but you guys are definitely banned next year, yeah, yeah. And, but you get one more shot at so it. So assuming they go to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, mm-hmm. which is where most people go, I mean, CAS does have like a pile of cases that they're going through, mm-hmm. but there's nothing to stop them moving the high-profile cases with a, with a ticking clock deadline to the top of the pile. This is true. Right? So yeah. that could happen too. We're doing a lot of speculating because this news really did just break um, on the way into the office. I'm sure we'll be talking about this more next week and into the future as this story unfolds. If the Nevada Gaming Commission did it to Sam Aethrostein, then they could do it to Man City as well. <laughs> UEFA could this time. Mm-hmm.
Perfect. All right. Deep cut casino reference, I think because we were talking about Scorsese earlier. Yes. I'll be watching The Departed tonight. (laughs) Have Um, fun with that. So uh, 10 listener questions, Mm -hmm. but also um, people have been asking us to explain what's going on with MLS Assist Mm -hmm. um, and Allocation Disorder in the Total Soccer Show feed. Most people get it. Some people want it explained. Uh, first of all, Daryl, I want to prepare you for it. Uh, I am not a co-op. You're welcome for that. That's uh, <laughs> me doing every Boston accent from The Departed. You're welcome. Okay, uh, second of all, yeah, we've, we've got the two shows in the feed. That seems to be a thing that we have to keep reminding people of. So let's yeah. do that now. Definitely okay. in the feed. So Taylor and I have mm. been doing a bit of producing, Ye. which is where we're not in front of the mic. We're behind the mic, but we're kind of heavily involved, yes. right? And so the first show we started producing was uh, for Joe Lowry, and Jordan Angeli, it's called MLS Assist, right? MLS Assist uh, because of the phrase MLS Assist, because they're giving you an assist with understanding tactics in Major League Soccer. We wanted a show that was all about MLS tactics. We thought we're not necessarily the people to do it, but we know Joe Lowry, mm-hmm. and he definitely is. And then we found Jordan, and she definitely is, yep. and we've got the, the perfect combination there. Um, but also, they're giving us an assist with our MLS coverage. Very much so. So the big question people have asked is, um, why doesn't MLS Assist have its own feed and the answer in the short term is because it's a total soccer show production mm-hmm. um, we wanted to keep it in-house so that all tss listeners can have a listen to mls assist right. um, and the very basic thing is when joe and jordan want to spin it off into its own feed that's when we'll spin it off into its own feed so mm-hmm. maybe eventually but for now it lives in the total soccer show feed every tuesday MLS assist. I mean, barring some sort of disaster tragedy, we would assume that that will happen yeah. not, uh, if they want it to, but when they want it to. Yeah, when they want it to mm-hmm. is maybe, maybe the better phrase. Yep. Okay, and then um, Allocation Disorder is um, an athletic podcast hosted by Paul Tenorio, Sam Stagegirl, the experts at understanding the, uh, what did I call it the other day, the, the Rube Goldberg machine <laughs> that is Major League Soccer's uh, mechanisms. I've been, I've been struggling with how to succinctly explain it to like my, my wife and in-laws. Of, like, they're national reporters. They're very good at what they do they know lots about the league and they're going to talk about it is sort of how i keep uh going back to it i would argue there's very few people who could talk about it with the level of detail that paul and sam do and they would because they're friends colleagues right they have a a rapport may i also add there's very few people that could and would want to (laughs) (laughs) but they both do because they're friends well based on downloads there is an audience (laughs) this This is true there really is an audience for this so in terms of our feed you now get all the on-field stuff from joe and jordan and you get all the off-field stuff um from paul and sam so it works perfectly for us. In the same way, Allocation Disorder may get its own feed in the future. Um, hopefully, mm. we'll still be producing uh, when that happens. So we're involved. It's in our feed, and we're very happy about it. We are, although you still will not let me produce it the way I want to, which is throwing in like Migos-esque ad-libs in the background. <laughs> just like, present in the background <laughs> when they get to those types of topics. But for now, we'll Tom. do it the conventional way. There you go. <laughs> Confusing. <laughs> that's, 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 that's what I want. But until then, we'll stick with things as they are. We'll All keep right. them in the feed. And we'll uh, do some listener questions while we're at it. Oh, let's do it then. We've okay. got many to do. We have ten. Yeah. I agree. Many. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, but they're good. They're all very, very good. Still uh, no grizzly bears in the office, by the way. Just yeah, wanted to so update on that one. It works. It works. If you see one, tell me. I'll put my arms out wide. <laughs> I shall do my best. Okay. Uh, Rachel Arnold. Mm-hmm. Rachel Arnold with the first question. Rachel wants to know, who has the higher ceiling, Gio Reyna, or Christian Pulisic? Mm-hmm. I would have thought, I'm not answering this question, but Rachel then put in parentheses. She wisely anticipated that. She really did. I know the answer is it's too soon to say, <laughs> but I would like to hear your initial impressions mm-hmm. anyway. Before we answer seriously, I would like to give the Alexi Lalas answer to this mm-hmm. question. Who has the highest ceiling, Gio or Christian? Um, I don't know. I've never been to either of their houses. I knew you were going to go with that one. 
He's good at that type of thing. Right. Um, I will add the disclaimer. I talked about this on the Top Draw Soccer Show today with Travis, that there's a distinct possibility that Giovanni uh, Reyna's uh, performance for Dortmund last weekend is sort of still stuck in my mind because I did not think it was very good. There were, I thought there were minutes. Yeah. lots of questions uh, coming out of that one. So that may well be partially where my answer is coming from. But I think if I'm forced to answer this, my answer is Christian Pulisic has the higher ceiling. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I should note that right now, as we record, uh, yep. Borussia Dortmund versus Eintracht Frankfurt kicked off like mm-hmm. 30 minutes ago. Yeah. Gio was on the bench to start. We we could be looking very silly. He could score five goals if he comes off the bench in the second he half. Probably, I mean, we've already established coaches wait until we put the show out to embarrass us. <laughs> He's probably waiting until I've said what I've said to score a hat-trick. All right, before I ask you to justify sure. your Christian Pulisic has the higher ceiling mm-hmm. um, take, I would say also to bolster the idea of this question, even though things it's unfair to compare and like Pulisic's, what, 2021 and Reina's 17, 18, mm-hmm. I think it is okay to start making comparisons because they're both playing for Dortmund, the same club, at a similar age. Yeah. Pulisic also started playing for Dortmund when he was 17 and 18. Mm-hmm. Reina is doing the exact same thing right now. And in a very similar style. And like, in a very similar position, yeah. in a very similar style. So I think it is worth making the comparison. And had like the winter camp, and then after the winter camp, like got a couple minutes and yeah. got some substitute appearances, and then ideally, hopefully, with Reina, starts getting some starting minutes, which yeah. is what happened with Pulisic. Um, and that is partially it, though, that like they came through the similar setup, but now we have Pulisic with a big move to Chelsea. The larger sample size kind of herps, or helps, helps in terms of uh, letting us know what to expect from the player. But then I think looking at them individually, uh, Pulisic, I think, is out and out faster. And I think right mm-hmm. away having that extra speed is a big difference maker, that you can utilize that in different ways, whereas if you don't have that speed, it sort of necessarily limits where you're going to be deployed on the field. Speed is a multiplier. Yep. Like Kylian Mbappe is mm-hmm. a magnificent footballer, and he's fast. Yes. Speed is a multiplier yeah. of all your other talents. And so I think right now, in the way that he has developed and how quickly I think Christian Pulisic has developed, no, this season has not been as strong as we would have liked, but it's Currently still... injured. Yeah, exactly. But I think given the kind of greater variety of roles I think he can play, partially informed by that speed, I think that means there are more opportunities for him at potentially different clubs or maybe just at Chelsea, and I think that then means he has a higher ceiling overall. Interesting. Okay, I disagree, and I'm going to say Gio Reyna. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have to like debate this to the death. because this have isn't, to, but I will smash this This class. isn't Skip and Shannon, mm-hmm. right? I think <laughs> So maybe just, I, I understand that the speed... I know, we've already said intellectual things, so I know it's not <laughs> Skip and Shannon. The speed, the sp- I think your speed argument is really um, uh, convincing, mm-hmm. so I'm happy to go with that. My take is that Gio Reyna has the higher ceiling, but Christian Pulisic is more likely to reach his ceiling. Hmm. Why do you think Reyna has the higher ceiling, though? Because he can do a little bit more. So in place of being fast, uh, Gio Reyna is big and mm-hmm. tall. Pulisic still has the problem of getting kicked around and knocked off the ball. Gio Reyna, at 17 years old, is already six feet tall. He hasn't filled out yet, but not, you've got yeah. to assume that he will, right? So 17 years old, tall, um, and he can play multiple positions. Reyna can also play center forward, mm-hmm. right? He can play center forward or he can play on the wings. I also think, from what I've seen early on from Gio Reyna, he is able to shoot from distance in a way that you just do not see from Christian Pulisic, right? Christian Pulisic really is. He has that magic, like, eel-like dribble where he Mm -hmm. can uh, slither through people. And it's a magnificent skill. Very few people in the world have it. I think Gio Reyna has a little bit of that, but also has the, like, basically the height to play center forward and is able to, like, hit these curling shots from distance. Mm -hmm. So I'd argue he sort of has... uh, more strings to his bow. Um, the only thing he's lacking that Pulisic has um, is that speed, right? Mm. So I would argue that uh, Reina has the higher ceiling, but the thing that always impressed me about Pulisic is that from the age of 17, when he made his debut for Dortmund, the same age that Reina is now, mm. Pulisic look, always looked like he understood 
what it was to be a teammate and to make the right decisions. Agreed. Right? So mm. Reina, you saw, what, last week, the big thing we saw was um, him <laughs> getting into a, a bit of a, a tugging match mm. that had a Jadon Sancho goal ruled out for Dortmund right. and really turned the game. Um, I saw Reina make some bad decisions in terms of like dribbling at people when he didn't need to mm-hmm. dribble at people. I saw him kind of disappear from the game. Yep. He would like hang out on the wing and not be in good positions. We saw Emre Chan thinking, I'm not passing to this guy yep. a couple of times. I would argue that when you saw Christian Pulisic at the same age, um, he just had a better better game sense, a better sort of sense of what's going on around him and a better way of being part of a team. So I would say Reina has, in a weird way, more talent and therefore a higher ceiling. But Pulisic is much more likely to hit his only slightly lower ceiling. That makes sense to me because I, I think that was maybe you've hit upon like one of the glaring differences uh, in that game uh, for Gio Reyna was just that with Pulisic when he would first come on you would see him sort of like make the five yard pass that was simple and obvious but still had to be made and he made it and then he'd make like a 15 yard pass that was into space and on for like the on rushing fullback and it was like okay yeah. and you would kind of see him grow into the game and then maybe there'd be a step over maybe there'd be him taking somebody to the end line and crossing it in but you'd still see those fundamentals executed properly yep. whereas Gio Reyna I think he came on and immediately played a five-yard pass sort of in between two teammates and it led to some confusion and right there I was like "Ooh, that's not the way you want to Mm -hmm. start then he firmed up and then he had that uh, mistake you've already mentioned and I would argue Pulisic immediately had the emotional maturity to not get into the tugging matches and get called for those Mm -hmm. weird off-the-ball fouls like Reina did uh, last weekend I would also say that we're only talking about this because of Rachel's question right Mm -hmm. so I'm really grateful that Rachel asked it because I feel like this is not the sort of thing we would have dared to talk about Because the real answer is that we should just be excited that we have both of them. Yes, yes, yes. You can, you can definitely Absolutely. be that way, and yep. I think that that is fair. Um, we could do today's sponsor if we wanted to, or we can move on to the next question. I leave it to you, my friend. I think actually, I would like to point out that I said we'll be about fifteen minutes yep. in after mm-hmm. that first question, and, and that's where we, we should do the first ad. What did you say, Taylor? You, I, said, you said nine minutes. I think I said nine-ish minutes, but I forgot we were talking about the first question as well. We were yep. like ten and ten minutes coming out of the initial conversation. That's okay, what... I think we should do the first mm-hmm. ad, but with the understanding and. Recognition that I was right the whole time. (laughs) Today's show is sponsored by Lawnmower. I have breaking news for you, Taylor. Lawnmower 3.0. The Lawnmower Mm 3.0 has been launched. Mm -hmm. You're so proud of yourself right now, and I hate it. This is your public service announcement. After more than 18 months of research and development, the Manscaped Engineering Team... Oh, you said public? That's not what the copy says. (laughs) Oh, well, I'm going to keep it with that one. Uh, Has confirmed that they have successfully created the greatest hair trimmer ever created for your downstairs parts. (laughs) The new trimmer was just released only moments mm-hmm. ago, and we are the first to confirm the new and improved Lomo 3.0 manscaping trimmer is now available for purchase. That's right. It will make you as smooth as a Ken doll in the way you want to be, as opposed to the way that Ken is. Is that, <laughs> um, is that in the coffee? It is not, but I'm adding that for them <laughs> myself. Uh, the third-generation manscaped trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to prevent any sort of manscaping accident. Uh, it leaves you free from any sort of risk of nicking or snagging, which is not a thing you want when you're talking about uh, your manscaping business. The battery will now last up to 90 minutes, so mm-hmm. you can take a longer shave. I'm assuming they don't recommend that you spend 90 minutes shaving, right? This is 90 minutes um, spread over hey, multiple... Attention to detail, my friend. Multiple attention to detail. sessions. Um, the Lomo 3.0 has been upgraded to a 7,000 RPM, revolutions per minute, you got it. Um, motor with quiet stroke 
trademark technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a rapid charging dock powered by USB. I'm still confused. You got that lightning bolt done in under 90 minutes? That's impressive, Daryl. I I didn't think you had it in you, but here we are. I was careful but quick. So if you would like to attempt a similar feat, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code TSS at manscaped.com. One more time, 20% off and free shipping with the code TSS at manscaped.com. Thank you to Manscaped for sponsoring today's show. Mm -hmm. And well done on that public but without the L service announcement <laughs> pun. I love a bit of wordplay. Well done, Manscaped. And well done to Daryl for getting his timing right. Uh, with that in mind, let's get you answering a question, Daryl. Matthew Anderson and Lloyd uh, Heilbrunn, now that the women's yeah, they basically team... asked the same question. There are three instances in today's mm-hmm. show where two people have asked very, very similar questions. W- was Matthew Lloyd a person in there as well? Or th- do I No, have no. It? So what, what this okay. is, is Matthew Anderson uh-huh. and Lloyd Heilbrunn have oh, asked okay, very similar questions. Gotcha. Okay. Matthew's question is, now that the women's mm-hmm. national team has qualified for Tokyo, the Olympics, who's in your Mm A-team. Lloyd's question is, please let us know each of your A-team players for the Japan Olympics. So it's essentially the same question from two different people. Beautiful. So we both have our our own 18s right now, since you've got the 18. Uh, Joe, do you just want to run through yours quickly and then we can see where the differences might be? Because I'm guessing we've only got a couple differences. Yeah, so the the thing is, only 18 players makes it really hard. Mm -hmm. Someone has to miss out. I had a squad I was really happy with. Before I came into the studio, mm-hmm. it had 19 players. Yeah, that's so about where I am as I'm well. I'm down to 18. So how about I tell you my 18? Yeah. If you have any questions about why I did certain things, um, quiz me, mm-hmm. and you do the same, and then we'll, we'll go back and forth. That, that sounds, sounds good to me. One other clarification, though, uh, just if people aren't aware, because I, I checked it just to make sure you only need the two goalkeepers. So yes. it's not a situation when you have 18 players and three goalkeepers. Yep. You 18 can just players, go two. two goalkeepers. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my goalkeepers um, for my US Women's National Team Olympic roster, um, Alyssa Nia. Mm-hmm. Adriana French. Okay. Okay. We've got a disagreement there. Okay. Uh, do you want to talk about it now? Yeah, maybe. Instead of me just listing names, maybe it's better to talk about it as we go. Sure. Right? I mean, I just think it's b- because Ashlyn Harris got more minutes uh, in qualifying and I think is more of a veteran player and her wife, I expect, is going to be on the team. I do wonder if maybe Vlatko keeps them together. Okay, so here's why I've gone mm-hmm. uh, differently. My understanding is that Ashlyn Harris, very good goalkeeper, yep. but one of the reasons she was part of Gialis' squad mm-hmm. was team chemistry, yep. right? People just love her. She's great to have around the team. She's also 34 mm-hmm. and as the backup keeper, and I really think there needs to be, we need to move towards a transition. Yep. Jenna French is just under 30, which means she has a good few years left as a keeper. Also, Ali Krieger doesn't make my squad. Mm-hmm. So therefore, interesting. there's no like disruption of squad harmony if Krieger's there and Harris is not. That's why I've gone Naya and French. French basically for the future. That's fair. Okay. Um, I, I, and then my, my like justification for Ashlyn Harris, aside from her wife being there in the chemistry, is just that you're talking about a second goalkeeper, reserve goalkeeper. So I think you want the veteran like know-how. But yeah, yeah. I think you also want a person who's been there before, can sort of be a leader, can be a facilitator in training and off and off field and do all the things that Ashlyn Harris That's does. That's nice, but we're talking about my team. Well, all right, so the defenders, <laughs> I am taking six defenders yep. in my 18-team roster. I've gone Becky Sauerbrunn. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gone Abby Dalkamper. Yep. Those are your starting centre-backs. Kelly O'Hara, yep. Crystal Dunn. Those are your starting full-backs. Mm-hmm. And then the other two defenders I've chosen are Tiana Davidson, mm-hmm. And Emily Sonnet. Okay. And the basic argument is versatility, right? Okay. Tina Davidson can play left center back or left back. Emily Sonnet can play center back or right back. And I feel like we're sort of covered with six players all across the positions. That's fair. Um, okay. Do you have anything different or do you want to yeah, wait till we get to yours? I do. Okay. That's fine. I can just say it really quickly. Uh, I have basically the only difference I have is I have Ali Krieger instead of Tina Davidson. Uh, we would assume that Tina Davidson would have been involved in qualifying, yeah, but injured. has injuries. So. Yeah. Um, but I think Ali Krieger, because we saw her play at least two different positions, and I think is probably thought of as being able to theoretically play three. I did not yeah. love her center back performance, but yeah. I think she like could do the job there and then could also be a left back, could also be a right back. So I think th- she 
kind of covers a lot of bases there and has that versatility that Vlatko might want. Okay. Uh, my midfield is Sam Mewis. Yep. Lindsay Horan. Yep. Julie Ertz. Yep. Rose Lavelle. Yep. All right. So that was the obvious, mm-hmm. the obvious four who are always going to be there. Um, I then added Andy Sullivan. As did I. Okay. Yeah. And part of the reason, again, is one, I think she might be the fifth best midfielder. Yep. And that's the reason to take her. The other reason is if we do need Juliet to go play centre back, mm-hmm. Andy Sullivan can drop in to that number six spot. Yep. I, you, you and I are done disagreeing at this point, I'm pretty sure. I think okay. those are the only ones that we're going to disagree on. All right. Here's my front five mm-hmm. um, Carly Lloyd. Yep. Megan Rapino. Yep. Tobin Heath. Correct. That's my starting three, I think. Then the two backups are. Kristen Press, mm-hmm. who can play what wing either side, uh, maybe centre forward, and then Lynn Williams, who can play any of the front three positions, yep. right? I'm and is only twenty six. And given that everybody else is over thirty or mm-hmm. more or less, um, I think Lynn Williams is the future of the US strike, yep. the US strike force. Missing out, Jess McDonald. Mm-hmm. I would say basically for her qualifying performance, um, and Mallory Pugh. Yep, I really did when I wrote my nineteen. Mallory Pugh was included in that forward uh, pool. And then I realized I had too many players. And I really toyed with the idea of, all right, we need Pew to go because she's the future. Um, and I dropped Andy Sullivan. And then I only had four central mm-hmm. midfielders. And I was trying to make an argument that, but like, okay, Crystal Dunn can play central midfield, which she can. She can. But then you're creating a problem at left mm-hmm. back, right? Or Tobin Heath can play midfield, which she probably could in like a Rose Lavelle replacement type thing. But then you're losing Tobin Heath up front. And I just didn't want to mess up the roster basically just to take Mallory Pew. So unless she has a lights out start to the end of yourself season, um, unfortunately, Mallory Pugh misses out. Uh, yeah, and I think it's telling that she already missed out on, in qualifying. Yeah. She was one of the cuts made because she just wasn't quite there. Vlatko talked about that. So I think I'm with you in the justification for that. And then I think absolutely that's why I had uh, Emil, or Andy Sullivan as well because I looked at that midfield and thought, like, no, there's got to be one more. And those four that we've already talked about did play regularly. So too did Andy Sullivan in qualifying. I feel like there's a reason for that. And then... As you talked about, like once you start moving people around, you sort of immediately run into depth issues. Yeah, and I don't. It's like think, a Jenga tower that starts to yeah. wobble. And I don't <laughs> think that with an eighteen players roster, if you're looking at those front three positions, I don't think you, you think you can like justify bringing six players in there no. to have a substitute at every single spot. And that's where Jessica McDonald loses loses out to me because. I would love to see her in there, but I think with the names we've talked about, I think it's going to be Carly Lloyd as your center forward or at least vying for that spot alongside maybe Lynn Williams. I think yeah. those are the two there. And then Tobin Heath is Tobin Heath. Megan Rapino is Megan Rapino. Kristen Press performed very, very well in qualifying. Jessica McDonald, not that she performed poorly, but just all those – you have to be exceptional to, I think, move above some of the players yeah. that are already on that list. And then in my head, if anyone um, except Lynn Williams gets injured, mm-hmm. Mallory Pugh's up next. I think if Lynn Williams gets injured, then I'm thinking Jess McDonald because she can play centre forward mm-hmm. and Mallory Pugh really can't, yeah. not in a target player kind mm-hmm. of way. Uh, but Mallory Pugh would be next up on my roster if, you know, Kristen Press is injured, Megan Rapinoe is injured, Tobin Heath's injured. Yeah, I doubt that Carly Lloyd is going to get injured or have a massive downturn in form, yeah. but that's the only other or, one. Or admit to being injured even if she is. Also that, <laughs> like play with like two broken feet, but that's the only other one where I could see did Jess it, McDonald get in. Did it enter your head at all that Carly Lloyd's 37 and Megan Rapinoe's 34? Mm-hmm. Or do we just assume that they... With like the couple of extra players that they'll be fine to get through the whole tournament. That I, I think it's yeah. it's it's. I mean, because Jill Ellis. I mean, it didn't really work out in the end, but like Jill Ellis brought Megan Rapinoe and she couldn't even play in the group stage. Yeah, to the last that's Olympics. a bad idea. It end. was, it yeah. was. But I think if you can bring a player, we're talking, right? yeah, if you can bring a player like Megan Rapinoe 
or Carly Lloyd, I think you're going to bring them. And I think also worth remembering that this is Vlatko. By the way, are we just going to call him Vlatko? Yes. I keep feeling like I should call him Andonovsky, but yeah, it yeah. just seems very long. Will JP get a camera and just go first names? I will never, <laughs> never go full first names. Uh, I just think Alex is having no. Um, but I, I do also think that this is his, worth remembering. This is his first major tournament in charge of this national team. And yep. what you don't want to do is go into that with drama. Dropping Megan Rapino, dropping Carly Lloyd, yep. that is going to cause a lot of drama and a lot of friction. Mm, so I, I don't think you can agree. kind of drop huge names right before the start of a tournament. I also think there is that thing of, all right, I think no team has ever, this is what Kate Margraff told us, right? No, one, no team has ever won the World Cup and then won the Olympics mm-hmm. back to back, right? This is the chance to do it. And I know that we talked about, you know, you've got to start building for the future as well. I think with, say, Tiana Davidson in there, I think mm-hmm. uh, players like that, my French selection, I would argue, is building for the future. Andy Sullivan is building for the future. Lynn Williams is building for the future. Mm-hmm. I think after the Olympics, assuming we're successful, or if we're not, it's a few years until the next World Cup. That's when you can start thinking, all right, maybe we have to transition away from Carly Lloyd and mm-hmm. Megan Rapinoe yep. uh, ready for the next World Cup. But you've got literally years to do it, mm-hmm. whereas the Olympics is this summer. Yep. I'm, I'm right there with you. So the, I think okay. the only disagreements we had then was Tina Davidson versus Ali Krieger and uh, Adriana French versus, Ash- versus Ashlyn Harris. Okay. All right. Um, Emily Sonnet was, I think, the last player I added to my list, but I think she, she gets in there for both her positional flexibility and also her personality, which I think, again, you want yeah. that chemistry. Yeah, she's kind of hilarious, and mm-hmm. she's willing to knock people over. And she's willing there's, to fall over and then laugh at herself. Yeah, there's there three go. of my favorite things. <laughs> um, all right. Next question mm-hmm. comes from Roland Klein. Yep. <laughs> so you and Ryan talked about the Milan derby we did. Right, um, on a recent weekend review. Mm-hmm. Roland Klein emailed in and said, the derby della Madonnina. Mm-hmm. Um, what? And I've added to make clear... Why is it called this? Mm-hmm. So uh, Roland wants to know, yep. why is the Milan Derby called the Derby della Madonnina? It's because Madonna performs before every single Milan Derby. <laughs> uh, it is in honor... She's the Shakira and J-Lo of Milan Derbys. I don't feel comfortable even joking about that. <laughs> but sure, she's fine. Uh, in honor of one of the main sites in Milan, uh, that's where the name comes from. Uh, it's a statue of the Virgin Mary on top of the Duomo, often referred to as the Madonnina, which is Italian for Little Madonna. Uh, so the it's Duomo sort of, is a church, I'm yes, going to guess? Yes, uh, in, in, like It's the very famous one in uh, Milan. So, oh, so if you go to Milan, mm-hmm. this is the church you take photos of. Exactly. Like if you go to Paris, mm-hmm. you take photos of yep. the Notre Dame Cathedral. Mm-hmm. If you go to Milan, you take photos of the Duomo? Yes, okay. uh, with the the little Madonna on the roof. And so that's I where see. it comes from because it's such a like uh, representative image of Milan that to like to win means that you have, you know, like you, you are... You please the Madonnina. Exactly. There we go. <laughs> so that's where it comes from. I think it's maybe just fancier than the Milan Derby. There we go, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the San Siro Derby. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the municipally owned stadium derby. Exactly. Um, all right. Uh, next up... Um, the, ca- the Vespa Derby? <laughs> The traffic laws don't count, Darby. <laughs> Carol Pierce uh-huh. says, we still haven't heard about mm-hmm. too many major international signings for NWSL teams. This is true. Carol Pierce says, after watching the World Cup this summer and potentially league play before or since, who would you, Taylor, mm-hmm. and I guess Daryl, be willing to spend allocation money on to bring to the US and which team would you send them to? So a bit of background. A new rule in NWSL this year is that each team has allocation money. Well, they have $300,000 of allocation money. Mm-hmm. they can use to spend above and beyond the maximum salary of non-US national team players, which is normally 50000 mm-hmm. So theoretically, you could, pl- you could pay an overseas player, uh, like say Sam Kerr, who mm-hmm. ended up leaving and going to play for Chelsea, right? Because she couldn't get paid all that much at the time. You could pay someone $350,000, yep. which is a really good salary 
in women's soccer. I don't know how the transfer fees work, but we're going to kind of play fantasy football with that yeah. and make this fun. Yeah. Oh, we're not saying these are necessarily the most realistic of moves yeah. because two of the three players I have are not going to leave their current clubs. Do they play for Lyon? Uh, one does. Okay. One well, is Randy Renard. Who you got? Wendy, Wendy, Wendy Renard of Olympic Lyon. Okay. Yes. Uh, again, this is a fantasy pick because she has only ever played for Lyon, but I had her going to Portland. Oh, no, wait, no, excuse me. No, I didn't. I had her going to Chicago. I had her going Chicago. to Chicago Red Stars. Yeah, to be to be one of their starting center backs because I feel like— Don't they already have Davidson and Ertz? Does Ertz play midfield? For Ertz, Ertz can play midfield, ah. yeah, and I think does play midfield. Uh, so, yeah, you, you move Wendy Renard in there. You do move Ertz like, permanently into midfield. That's a solid, solid three right there. And I'm basically trying to build contenders to knock off North Carolina. So That's what I was going That's for. how I constructed it. I was yes. like, who's close to challenging mm-hmm. North Carolina and what do they need and how can I get them? How can I get them to that level? And I was sort of conscious Actually, of... I'm sending no one to North Carolina. You no. need no one North Carolina. No. They've gotten even You're more. Good. They don't need more. Yeah. Um, but I did also like... Though we said this isn't entirely realistic, it's much more fantasy. Yeah. I did look it up, and I, Wendy Renard is not nearly as old as I thought. I think she's not even 30 yet, which kind okay. of blew my mind. Uh, so I had her as like a sort of like, yeah, she could be a long-term uh, prospect there in Chicago. Or not even prospect, just a long-term uh, like route of stability okay. for Chicago. Uh, I also had uh, the one that I'm going to guess is on your list. Do you have a player playing for Arsenal? Yes. Okay, go ahead. Then you do that one. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, this isn't my first pick, yeah. but I would like to see Vivian Miedema yep. mm-hmm. go to the Chicago Red Stars. Okay. So the Red Stars lost Sam Kerr because yep. they couldn't pay her a bunch of money at the time, right? Vivian Miedema, only 22 years old, yeah. I honestly think might be the best striker, mm-hmm. um, and I'm including Sam Kerr in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Vivian Miedema to the Chicago Red Stars, her... Um, her unimpressed with herself goal scoring <laughs> would go down really well in Chicago and make them a challenger to North Carolina. I had her going, I, for similar reasons, I had her going to Portland, uh, who okay. are sort of rebuilding. So I feel like maybe mm-hmm. they want that big name player coming in. But uh, the idea of Portland with uh, Tobin Heath on one side, uh, newly drafted Sophia Smith on the other, and then you could have Christine Sinclair come in as your super sub, or potentially she and Miedema could play together if you wanted to go with like a front four on occasion. <laughs> Suddenly you're getting some goals, and it spells Christine Sinclair a little bit, which I think would be useful as well. So I was looking at the Portland Thorns mm-hmm. as potential challengers to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. As you said, they've made moves in the offseason, yep. right? Didn't they essentially trade Emily Sonnet mm-hmm. so that they could get Sophia Smith yep. right in a roundabout kind of way? So yep. they really are set at striker, right? They've mm-hmm. got Sophia Smith, They've got Christine Sinclair. Mm-hmm. They've got Tobin Heath. Yep. I would argue they're good attacking-wise. Lindsay Horan plays midfield for the mm-hmm. Portland Thorns, I'm pretty sure. Um, but they lost Emily Sonnet, and yep. they don't have – this is partly my ignorance, but they don't have names that I high-profile recognize mm-hmm. on the back line. So to me, the way to challenge North Carolina, spend some money on that Portland back line, right? Get some sense so of that. So you want right? Wendy Renard to Portland? No, I'm going to – because she's already going to Chicago, right, right, under your system. I would go for one of two players. Mm-hmm. Um, either – Steph Houghton at Manchester City. Mm-hmm. I was really impressed with Steph Houghton yep. for England, both defensively and bringing the ball out of the back. I thought she could find passes really, really well. So yeah. Houghton could be finding those passes into Haran in midfield. Or a player I was just last week really impressed with for Canada, Kadisha Buchanan. Hmm. She also plays for Lyon. Yeah. How do they have everyone on their team? Just Lucy Browns is there as well, right? Them. Yes, they spend them. And Nikita Paris? Or no? Yes, she Good. went from Man City to Lyon. Yes. Yeah, they are hogging Gracious. all the players. Kadisha Buchanan looked to me like... Reads the game brilliantly, mm-hmm. uh, really like calm and clever on the ball. I, she looks like the, the real deal at centre-back for me. Never played in the United States. Um, I assume she might be interested. We'll get her closer to home if she comes and yeah. plays for sure. Portland, right? Um, I'm not sure which side of Canada she's from. Might be yeah. very far from home if she's mm-hmm. East Coast. Uh, but yeah, Kadisha Buchanan to Portland Thorns, I think would be the big name signing 
uh, that could propel the thorns towards challenging North Carolina. I like that one. And I like that one because it, like, I'm assuming you went with players that really stuck in your head from the Women's World Cup. And we talk about... And from a game I watched last week. Also that. Uh, <laughs> Recency bias. But, but we, watch, we watch a lot of soccer, and I don't know if you had this as well, but I had a hard time, having watched literally every single game of the Women's World Cup, I sort of couldn't, like, went back and was like, I can't really remember if Japan were good, if they were good as a unit. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. remember individuals. The one individual that I really, like had in my mind was Kosovar Aslani, uh, oh, yeah. the Swedish number 10, the Swedish playmaker, could be a second striker, and I had her going to the Washington Spirit. Mm. I really liked the idea with Mallory Pugh departing a midfield three of Aslani, Lavelle, and Andy Sullivan behind them. Yeah. I feel like that that wins some games. She's currently with Tacon, which is the Real Madrid women's team. I'm assuming they will uh. very soon no longer be Tacon and instead be Real Madrid yeah, women's yeah. or something like that. This was a big deal, right? They were yeah. about to start investing, essentially. Yeah. Uh, they, they have officially made it that like that is their club now, so I'm assuming the name change will happen. But Real Madrid, despite being Real Madrid, are not particularly good on the women's side yet. It stands to reason they will be soon, but yeah. not quite yet. So you could still theoretically have this as a more realistic move. The other um, players that I didn't find homes for, mm-hmm. they were just na- essentially names that stood out to me. As soon as I thought about this question, thought back to the Women's World Cup, who stood out to me? Um, Daniela van der Dunk, uh, mm-hmm. Dutch playmaker, also at Arsenal. Yep. I kind of like Arsenal have van der Dunk and Miedemar. It's quite nice that they're playing together it, it feels fitting right I yeah, think it's, it I think it's right. because of Bergkamp that yes. I, I just have this idea that like there should be Dutch at, yeah. at Arsenal and That's that how Dutch partnership be. I like yeah. that Dutch partnership and then I don't know if you remember this during the World Cup I was really taken when we did our previews with Lina Magor like really high energy midfielder for Germany. Mm-hmm. She didn't even start every game, but when she came off the bench, she added this like almost Arturo Vidal, like a young Arturo Vidal energy to a game. I don't know where I would like her to go in NWSL, but I would like her to go to NWSL. Maybe, maybe I would argue for her going to Spirit and uh, partnering Lavelle and Sullivan in that in that midfield. There you go. Okay, yeah. all right. Lena Magul. Let's uh, get them both yeah. in there. Why not? <laughs> uh, any other players you wanted to mention? Um, do you remember Barbara Balancea? Mm-hmm. She was the Italian. Left-sided, yes, right-footed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, she played forward or left wing. She's basically mm-hmm. Italy's best player yep. by a distance. So I wouldn't mind seeing her in NWSL. So I think she's the type of player that would be worth spending some money on. All right, NWSL teams, you've, you've got your shopping list. Yeah. Go make it happen. I'm sure they have their own shopping and list. And if right. you do sign them, yeah. maybe insert some weird clauses into their contract. <laughs> Matt Koss uh, has asked. Oh, and was it Matt Castle or Matt Koss? I have it as Matt Koss, but I leave Kass. it to you. So, okay. so <laughs> Matt Castle on Twitter oh, says, right. every time Matt Koss asks a question, I think it's me. Sorry, Matt Castle. It's, it's actually Matt Cost. Uh, I remember reading about how Mario Balotelli had a behavior clause and a per goal money bonus in his Liverpool contract. What are some other strangely or specifically written soccer contracts? Here is my disclaimer. Uh, I, I think we read a lot of the same articles. Most of oh, those articles. Do you mean articles or do you mean listicles? Yes. Uh, most <laughs> a lot of, of those, galleries I clicked through, a lot of ads I didn't want to look at. Right. <laughs> and similar to our conversation about Pele, where Pele was declared like a national treasure and everybody reports that, but there's never any source for that. Yeah. yeah. Never any like, and here's the the clause. And obviously, you're not going to be able to get your hands on a lot of professional contracts. Mm-hmm. But there were just a few where I was like, was that a clause, or was that a sort of like okay. a thing we would prefer you not do? So should we sprinkle salt over all of this? Yes. And say yes. Some of these mm-hmm. may be apocryphal. Yeah. But here's what we found. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you yeah. want, should we just go back and forth? Since I think we're going to have roughly the same, roughly yeah. the same stories. Do you um, want to start with with Stefan Schwartz, or should I? 
You wouldn't use Stephen uh, Schwartz. <laughs> Stephen Schwartz uh, signed for Sunderland in 1999. This comes from a Mental Floss article. Uh, the club noticed, I don't know how they noticed this, but that's how it kept being reported, that uh, Schwartz's advisor had booked a seat on a Virgin Galactic space flight for if and when that happened. They assumed it would be possible in the near future. Any day now. And Sunderland became concerned about this. They didn't want Schwartz to tag along, so they uh, supposedly, reportedly, grain of salt there, uh, put in a clause prohibiting him from leaving Earth's atmosphere. <laughs> That's great. Um, I like the idea of also and being like, and none of your penalties can either. <laughs> Those have to stay down. Um, how about this one for Neil Ruddick? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if people remember Neil Ruddick. He's maybe around before soccer was televised in the United States. He played for, um, he played for uh, Liverpool. Mm-hmm. It was his most high-profile team. On the downslide, he played for Crystal Palace. Mm-hmm. He was a big guy. He was a big guy. Do you know about this one? Mm-mm. Okay, so when he signed for Crystal Palace on a free transfer, when he was obviously a little bit overweight for a centre-back, Neil Razor Ruddick, that was his nickname, um, they put a clause in his contract that he could weigh a maximum of 99.8 kilos. And any time he went over that, his salary would be cut by 10%. Wow. He was fined eight times in six months and then let go. <laughs> they were right to put that in there. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it, it makes sense. It just also seems incredibly harsh at the same mm-hmm. time. But when you're a professional athlete, I'm assuming being fit is yeah. part of that. I've just realized that... Um, Unless you're a professional baseball player. I've just realized that our listeners won't know what 99.8 kilos is in pounds, mm-hmm. right? So, um, if at least you, you wanna, didn't say stone, which do you wanna, is even more confusing. Uh, sto- every, every 14 pounds is a stone. That's easy. Uh, with kilos... You I, do that math too? I don't know. All right. You ready <laughs> I, for this? Yeah. So, in terms of pounds, the maximum that Neil Ruddick was allowed to weigh, 220 pounds. Still a lot. How tall? He he was like six foot something, but okay. he wasn't like six foot four. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he was wider than wider than you would want. It seems unfair. Yeah. It seems like you put on some muscle suddenly you're uh, exceeding <laughs> your contract. That's not fair. If this was muscle, it was real wobbly muscle. Um, all right, well, you got <laughs> good any old more wobbly muscle. Yeah, I've got a few more. Uh, Neymar to Barcelona. There was lots of different ones in there. Yeah, there's supposedly a clause that allowed his friends uh, from Brazil to visit every two months with Barcelona paying for all the expenses. Yeah, I saw that too. There's also the famous one, uh, another clause guaranteeing him two million uh, pounds supposedly if he didn't dispute the coach's choice regarding his position on the pitch. Two and a half million euros. There we go. Yep. This mm-hmm. is before the pound slid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. uh, then, okay, sticking with the Neymar theme, mm-hmm. when he went to PSG, yeah. there was apparently a clause in his contract that no one could tackle him too hard in training what? and that he wouldn't have to do too much defending. How do you enforce that? See, this is what I'm saying is like, I'm sure that's in there somehow, but how is it? Who's in charge of determining if the tackle's too hard? I have no idea. I have uh, questions. Okay. Samuel Eto to Anji Makachkala. Yeah. Uh, first of all, he was on 20 million pounds a year, so well done to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he preferred to live in Moscow as opposed to Makachkala, uh, understandably so. So he had a clause inserted that stipulated that Anji would have to transport him back and forth to training, to games, in a private jet from Moscow to the Caucasus. All right. So I've got one that is not about a player contract so much as it's about the terms of the transfer. So mm-hmm. when Sergio Aguero left Atletico Madrid to go to Manchester City, mm-hmm. he obviously got himself a nice contract at Manchester City because uh, the Etihad airline paid a lot of sponsorship money. <clears throat> uh, but, but the devil you said. As part of the transfer, Atletico wanted like add-ons, right? Like we'll pay, I don't know how much the initial transfer was, mm-hmm. But after the initial fee, Atletico would receive €250,000 for every 15 goals that Sergio Aguero scored. And another €250,000 for every 25 games that Sergio Aguero plays. And a further sum of €1 million each time Manchester City won the Premier League. Wow. So, I mean, they got a big fee anyway, but they got all these nice little bumps and bonuses along the way as Aguero was banging in goals. Is Is that just like they're hoping that people won't be good at math and keep track of these things? 
I feel like who Man City. I, think, I feel like they're just putting in all these no, things. I'm like, we'll pay you this if he does that, but according to this, then that. They just throw money away. Basically. Well, also that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I am. I ask because did you read the Oxley Chamberlain one when he first went to Arsenal? Yes. So from memory, every time he played 20 minutes or more, mm-hmm. Southampton would receive an additional. It was, yeah, I can't remember if it was that or if it was like if he played 20 minutes or more X number of times, but that's why Arsene Wenger kept playing him under 20 minutes at the mm. end of every game. That's an interesting one. Also, the other one that maybe is a bit apocryphal, Luis Suarez to Barcelona. When he signed for them, he was in the middle of serving a four-month ban for biting from the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Supposedly, Barca inserted a no-biting clause that had, quote-unquote, harsh punishment. This is the one I don't right. believe because there's never any detail about sort of... It- it will cost him 20% of his wages or this would happen or that would happen. I feel like this was maybe just something that newspapers reported at the time. Here's where I agreed with you and then I also saw how it could happen because I was like, there's no way a team is going to be like, hey, like we know you're serving this ban, but like really, we're putting this clause in no more biting, okay? Because that yeah. just feels so like unnecessary and a bit sort of blunt and in your face. And then I was like, but if he's done it twice, <laughs> like maybe it is like, look, dude, you cannot do that again. Enough with the biting. <laughs> Enough already. with the biting. All right, some ones that I think are definitely real. Mm-hmm. Um, Dennis Bergkamp had in, in his contract that he was not required to yep. travel by air. I mean, yeah. The, the B.A. Baracus of footballers. If right? you've seen the quote, it's definitely real that yeah. that was in there. So it would make sense if you're his agent mm-hmm. to just put it in his contract so the club couldn't be like, hey, you mm-hmm. refuse to travel. You'd be like, no, in my contract it says I can't travel by air. Did you see the explainer quote that I'm talking about Mm-mm. he he like lists all of the different planes he's been on and he's like it doesn't matter i don't trust it <laughs> like basically it's like i've had bad experiences in tiny planes and in big planes it doesn't matter what you try to sell me on i'm not doing it i'm not participating in that witchcraft <laughs> nope um the other one i believe uh ronaldinho sky bus ronaldinho <laughs> when he uh left uh, i think barcelona to go to flamengo in Rock brazil bus, yeah um he put, had a closing mm-hmm. contract that he was allowed to party two nights a week so he basically couldn't get in trouble if two nights a week he went out We call that the Garincha Clause, by the way. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I saw that one. I'm not surprised by that one. I've got one more big one that I, I did a lot of reading on because I assumed it had to be true. I kind of want to save it, though. Daryl, how many more do you have? I've got just the one, right, and you it's got? about Giuseppe Reina. Oh, that's what I have, too. Okay. Yeah, I thought you it. didn't have that one. You mentioned you had a Reina one earlier, yeah. and I thought you were talking about Pepe Reina. Ah, uh, yeah, So no. we both have Giuseppe Reina. Yeah. Uh, since I made the mistake, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you have this one. Were you with me, though, that this seemed... Almost ludicrous in it not being possible? No, I think this happened. Oh, I mean, I, it definitely did. I just at first, I was like, I have to read more about this. And I heard, saw a quote from him of like, you got to be careful. Yep. Giuseppe Reina <laughs> to Armenia Bielefeld in 1996 signed a three-year contract. He inserted a clause into that contract requiring the club to build him a house for every year he was under contract at the club. Three years, three houses, not bad. Unless you don't clarify what type of house it is, the club built him a Lego house each year he was there, which apparently he still owns and uh, displays. And to be really clear, not a Lego house big enough for a man to live in. Uh-uh. A Lego house uh-huh. for ants. Yes. Right? <laughs> Goes along with the Derek Zoolander Center for Ants. Yes. yes. Um, there's also the Spencer Pryor one that kept popping up um, Which one's that? in every, every list. Oh, is this the testicles one? Yes. Yeah. When Spencer Pryor signed for Cardiff, the owner, Sam Haman, former mm-hmm. Wimbledon, like crazy grand, excuse me, crazy gang 80s owner, mm-hmm. inserted a clause in the contract that Pryor had to eat a meal of sheep's testicles. Oh, right. And apparently it, like, he did. Show his like, subservience or whatever? Or like... I, th- I think Sam Haman genuinely is just a lover of fun. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, okay. That, that makes me feel better because the way I, I had, the article I read saw that as a like, always oh, wanted to show his dominance. He forced him to eat this plate of testicles. And I was just like, that's 
not a great introduction. <laughs> that seems <laughs> no, unlikely. It, it was just like, um, right. let's do something wacky. All let's right. bring some spirit to this clip. But what yeah. I've learned from this is I'm very glad how carefully we read all of our contracts, Daryl. So we don't <laughs> end up living in Lego houses and uh, having to eat food we don't want to eat. I'd live in a Lego house. Would you? A no. tiny one? Not when it rained. Yeah, no. <laughs> Plus, you'd right. step on it by nature, and then it would hurt a lot. <laughs> Your feet would hurt all the time. All the time. <laughs> all right, many more questions to get to. Mm-hmm. But first, today's show is sponsored by Hims, a mm-hmm. wellness brand for men. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to insert a clause into your contract that you cannot go bald, uh, the club might utilize Hims to make that happen. Because though 66% of men start to lose their hair by the age of 35, uh, you can utilize Hims and most, more specifically, science uh, to make that be less of the case because Hims is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. So don't turn to weird solutions. Nah. Don't turn to weird solutions. Don't do nothing because nah. obviously that's not going to change anything. Turn to medicine and science. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jesse Pinkman would appreciate that. These are, <laughs> these are prescriptions. Why Jesse Pinkman? Oh, science. Mm-hmm. Um, prescriptions, solutions <laughs> backed by science. They are not cooked up in an RV in the middle of the desert. <laughs> no, these, they're not. These are made in labs by professionals. There's also no more awkward mm-hmm. in-person doctor visits, no more long pharmacy lines, and you don't have to go and meet that fat guy and that thin guy yeah. to, to get this to No get this RVs in the desert. You never want that. What are their names? Uh, the fat guy and the thin guy. Oh, uh, Hal? Jesse. Hal or Hugh? Jesse's friends. Oh, those guys. Oh, Badger. Yeah. Badger and Skinny yeah, Pete. I thought you were also. talking about uh, Bill Burr and I, for, I forget his... Oh, Lavelle Crawford's uh, character's name. Oh, no. I'd want to meet those two. <laughs> yeah, those guys are great. <laughs> Ultimately, uh-huh. good guys, right? Yes. Badger and... Uh, Skinny Pete. Yeah, Skinny Pete. Mm-hmm. Imagine Skinny Pete, ultimately good guys. We're still in the middle of copy, but I'm okay with it. Do, have you seen the, uh, yes. the Jesse Pinkman movie? Okay, cool. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. called, uh, I was going to say Canyonero, but that's the car from The Simpsons. <laughs> El Camino. El Camino. <laughs> I would watch a Canyonero movie. 12 yards long, two lanes wide, 65 tons of American pride, Canyonero. <laughs> uh, answer a few quick questions. A doctor will review them. Oh, we're doing uh, that again? And if they determine it's right for you, uh, Hims can prescribe you medication to treat hair loss that is shipped directly to your door. Okay, so if you want mm-hmm. to get your first month free, you go to fourhims.com slash total soccer. Mm-hmm. That's fourhims.com slash total soccer. Can I have a go at the disclaimer this time? Mm-hmm. You did it really fast last time. I'm going to try and match you. Okay, I ready? believe in you. Prescription requires an online consultation with a physician who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Offer valid only if prescribed three months minimum subscription. Additional restrictions may apply. See website for full details and important safety information. Remember, that's fourhims.com. Slash total soccer. That was really impressive the way you read it slowly and then sped it up in post production. Did not. <laughs> Genuinely did not. I knew that was going to bother you. Thank you very much to Hims for sponsoring today's episode, and well done to Daryl Grove for reading that question very quickly. Uh, well done to Scott Gleick and Kenneth uh, Saden for asking very similar questions. <laughs> Scott, uh, were you surprised by the recent uh, USNSTPA's uh, U.S. Men's Union statement in support of the women's CBA legal fight? Were you surprised it didn't happen earlier? If you think this has been the same of most USMNT players in recent years, what are some reasons do you think that they may not have spoken out sooner? And Kenneth, uh, with the USMNT's union issuing a very strong statement for the US women's national team equal pay fight, do you think either group has an appetite to, uh, to doing the Australian method of combining negotiations and or CBAs? Okay, let's attack each of these questions in order. Let's right? Attack. So go we'll, mm-hmm. we'll tackle, tackle yeah. each of these questions in order. So Scott's question were you surprised by the recent statement in support of the women's CBA legal fight? I'm going to say yes. Mm-hmm. Like We didn't see this coming. No. There hasn't been a strong vocal show of solidarity 
with the women's national team's uh, equal pay fight from the men mm-hmm. up to this point, right? Yeah. There's been some like vague, yeah, yeah, we're on board with it, kind of, yeah, well, wish, wish them well mm-hmm. kind of things. This is the strongest always, statement that yeah. has come out, right? I always go back to that Graham Zussi interview where that question just sort of sprung on him, and he literally does not know how to answer it in terms of like, I don't want to upset people, but I do want to give an answer. Yeah. And I think more or less it's just like, uh, they, you got to pay. <laughs> the money's useful. Like it's, it's, a, so it's an awkward one. They do address this at the mm-hmm. top of the statement. I'll put a link to the statement in the show notes or Taylor will, mm-hmm. um, so you can read the statement yourself. They address it at the top in a kind of why now type thing, right? And their justification for doing it now and not sooner is that we have these CBA discussions and we basically want to keep it all in-house. That's why we don't put out public statements, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm not sure I agree with that. I think I'm more leaned towards the Leander Shellacan's um, interpretation of this, which is that the U.S. men are playing under an expired CBA, right? They had mm-hmm. a CBA from 2011 to 2018. They're negotiating a new one currently, and I think they're not getting what they want. Mm-hmm. So their power move is to come out all guns blazing, supporting the women's national team and saying that the women's national team should be paid more and therefore yeah. we also should be paid more. Yeah. And it's almost like trying to – the harsh way to phrase it would be to say they're piggybacking on the popularity of the women's national team's fight for more oh, pay. Oh, I wouldn't say that's the harsh and way hoping to, say to <laughs> yeah. hoping to get themselves more mm-hmm. pay as a result by essentially framing the federation as uh, not being willing to pay the men's and women's mm-hmm. national team fairly. Yeah. You could also maybe take a more, my an even more harsh approach and say that maybe this is them wanting more money and then realizing the optics of not qualifying for a World Cup and then saying how unfair it is that you're not paid more doesn't really stand up against the argument of the team that has won the World Championship two times yep. is still massively underpaid. So I think you then have to advocate uh, for their position in order to then sort of be able to advocate your own. So will you permit me to read like a paragraph from the statement? Sure. That this is what Shalakin's pinpointed as the key part of – because it's a longish statement, right? Can I say this? I'll yeah. allow it, counselor, but watch yourself. <laughs> Here's the key part. I'm watching myself. Um, the men say, what we believe should happen is simple. Pay the women significantly more than our recently expired men's deal. In our estimation, the women would do at least triple what our expired deal was worth in player compensation. We believe the federation should have agreed to a deal directly tied to a fair share of the revenue players generate. Mm. That is what should have happened based on the entire history of labor negotiations involving the men and women players and the federation. Mm -hmm. But if you read between the lines a little bit, pay the women triple what we were paid 2011 to 2018, Mm -hmm. then it implies... And then also pay us triple. Exactly. Right? Yep. So it's essentially pay us triple and pay them triple. We all or at the very least pay us more. But yes, that, that, yes. that to me was the implication. Uh, to the extent that I was like, is there an asterisk in here? of like, And then you read down in the tiny, tiny fine print and it does say like, and also we get more than them though. That's mm-hmm. guaranteed. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it still is um, a statement of support. They mm-hmm. talk a lot about how the, um, for example, in the women's CBA, there are no provisions that match the men's team with respect to air travel and hotels and like the, the sort of mm-hmm. basic treatment like that, which, you know, it's, it's good that they put that in there. They refer to it as systematic gender discrimination that should never have happened. Yep. I, I agree with that. And I'm glad that they've come forward and said it. I'm not sure their motivations for coming forward and saying it are all that pure, Mm-mm. but um, positive actions, even with bad motivation is still probably a good thing. I, maybe, maybe. I guess it depends on That's what debatable. you're actually going for there. But we'll yeah. leave the, uh, when they write, if they do another season of The Good Place, they can figure that out. Yeah, if you're, <laughs> if, if you're murdering a city for the good of mankind, then I have questions, oh, is, is all this, I'm saying. Is this a Watchmen? <laughs> I suppose so, or yeah. the, the trolley, the, uh, yeah. the, the trolley the tr- theory. The trolley problem. There it is, yeah, the, trolley the trolley problem. problem. Yeah, as well. Um, um, yeah, and, and so if you don't mind me, I was going to say, like, 
I mentioned that Graham Zussi moment earlier, uh, which is very painful. But I think that also does – if you want to give them a little bit of credit, the men's team, I think that maybe is partially why they haven't said anything as a unit or individually sooner is, number one, I think – it can be a little bit confusing. If you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, do you, are you disagreeing with me already? Mm, okay, just, cool. Okay. Um, like, this is giving them the benefit of the doubt, which I'm not saying they deserve, but I think it can be confusing to say, like, yeah, I think they, wait, what are they, are you? like, if you got to know all the things to be able to say, oh, we okay. agree, you, you want to know what it is because it does open you up to, that question for Graham Zussi did kind of come out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and it does then lead to, like, well, are you going to take a pay cut? Are you going to take less so they make more? And if you're not really up on the nuances of the argument and the situation. Yeah, which is not easy to do. No. Right? Then you're kind of wading into it and you could potentially put your foot in your mouth or worse. Yep. So I think that maybe is part of it. It may well also be that they don't want to violate any sort of agreements they have where maybe there's a stipulation you can't speak against the Federation or you can't speak about other labor negotiations. I still think that any person who did speak out, I mean, there's the story of Michael Bradley getting fined for wearing the, the rainbow captain's armband. Like, yeah. I think anytime you're taking a stance publicly... It tends to be a better look than but well. That was, that um, was um, a FIFA thing. Right. I think U.S. Soccer supported him. That's right? true. So let's not paint not paint the Federation as the villain. In oh, that that's case, what I'm trying. Right? All I'm trying to say is like I think Infantino any, is the villain. Anytime there. you as an individual come out and stand for something that you you feel to be like socially just and morally right, yeah, that is always a better look than like well the Federation says like in this case with the contract the Federation says like we can't talk about yeah, it so we're I, not that going to. Okay. That looks a bit more like you are a kept man. The other thing I'd say just to help people have a better understanding mm. of this is what the Federation saying response is essentially we want to invest in grassroots soccer, Mm -hmm. in referees, in coaching, in all that kind of stuff. So the Federation's argument is that the less money we have, the more money we give to the players, the less money there is um, to go to all the other stuff. I think that's the basic argument, right? And now you have the men and the women kind of uh, combining and ganging up, at least is how the men see it, Mm -hmm. to demand more money from the Federation, which leads us to Kenneth's question. With the U.S. Men's National Teams Union issuing a very strong statement, um, do you think either group has an appetite to do the Australia method of combining negotiations and or CBAs? Mm. I looked into this and I looked at what the Australian teams did. I didn't. So go ahead and explain it, Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the, it's interesting because Australia has a similar situation to us where saying we want equal pay is complicated because you can ask for equal pay in terms of uh, how much you get paid in appearance fees and win bonuses uh, for national team appearances. But the complicating factor is that the U.S. Soccer Federation is paying salaries to kind of like centrally contracted players, which is essentially Mm -hmm. all the U.S. WNT players who play in the NWSL are paid a, their salary is paid by the federation, right? Mm. Similar thing was happening in Australia where they're centrally contracted. They're getting their their main like club salary essentially comes from the federation, right? And then you're asking for national team appearance fees on top of that, right? So that's why it's slightly complicated. What they did in Australia is the men lowered the amount they were taking in game bonuses uh, and appearance fees so that the amount the women were being paid for the uh, central contracts um, – the total of that matched the total amount the men were making in appearance fees. Mm -hmm. So that's what they did. They equalized it in that way. And then the important second step was all prize money, so FIFA prize money for like going deep or even just appearing in tournaments, and all commercial revenue was pulled together in what they called a blind pool. So it doesn't matter if like the men's team earned the prize money or the men's team got commercial sponsorship with um, an Australian airline or the women did it. They all pulled it together and they split it evenly between the two teams. Okay. Yep. I think that second part is possible 
for the men's and women's national teams of the United States. Why do you think the second part is and not the first? I think the first one's more complicated because, for example, um, Reggie Cannon is a senior men's national team player. At last look, he's making eighty or 90000 a year mm-hmm. in Major League Soccer. Reggie, someone like Reggie Cannon is heavily depending at this point or very much enjoying <laughs> the national team bonuses he's getting appearing for the men's national team. And there are a lot of players who are Major League Soccer players who play for the men's national team who would, uh, I'm not saying it would like make life impossible for them, but they would not be willing or it would not be good for them mm-hmm. to take a cut in the bonus, the appearance fees and the bonuses that they're getting. So I just think that part is hard. Um, but I do think the second part is much, much easier, right? To just pull all the prize money and the uh, commercial revenue. Yeah, and I think the immediate response to that would be like, but that seems slightly unfair because, say, the women, let's just say by happenstance, like win the World Cup and let's say the men don't qualify for the World Cup. Yeah. Then right there you would, you would seem like, well, that's not fair that like the women are having to give up some of their money for the men's side. But I think the counter argument to that would be like that is that case. That is the case in that, that situation. Yeah. But if the men did qualify for a World Cup, I believe the prize money for like making it through three games in a World Cup yeah. is pretty substantial, if not like on yeah. par with what you make for going eight deep into the women's tournament. Yeah, if people don't know, there is way more prize yeah. money yeah. Uh, at the men's World Cup mm-hmm. than there is at the women's World Cup. Right. Yeah. So even though it would be unfair that the women would be sharing, they would be giving up more than they got mm-hmm. uh, this time around, it's kind of an aberration that the men didn't qualify, right? Yep. Assuming they qualify in the future, uh, the women's national team would do better out of this because they'd be getting access to that men's prize money. The thing that I'm still sort of confused by, though, is like my understanding of contracts is that if you're signing a sponsorship deal with Nike or with I don't know, an American airline, let's say, let's say Alaska Airlines becomes the official airline of, of U.S. soccer. They sponsor Portland for a bit, right? There you go. Yeah. Um, like, my assumption was that the federation gets that money, not the players. So you're talking like yeah. individual signing things. Like when you said Sam Kerr, Sam Kerr got this big lucrative deal. Would that be like for her representation of Australia? Yeah, actually, so I used that example yeah. when we were talking off air about yeah. this, and I immediately backed out of it. Okay, I just cool. realized that was an individual deal, okay. not a team deal. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. cool, cool, cool. That um, makes more sense. So essentially, yeah, I'm thinking of something where the federation signs a deal with, let's say, Audi. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of that? Uh, yeah. do the men's team get. Okay. Uh, and I think it would be good or if the, men, wagon, the men's say. team got yeah. a percentage of that and the women's team got a percentage of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. And they got the same percentage of that, right? And then the women's team signs a deal with, I don't know, another another uh, car manufacturer or airline or something, mm-hmm. then that, that would be split between the men and the women. So equal commercial revenues. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. Let's make it happen. I'm not, saying there is, I'm not saying there is an appetite for that, but I'm saying that to me is a possible way to do it. Do we think they would do it? I don't know. You'd have to, you'd have to corner Graham Zuzi. <laughs> I mean, and my, he'd be like, hey, that's not my problem anymore. Perhaps this There's is cynical. There's lots of other right-backs available. <laughs> I don't want to just keep being cynical, but like, I guess the way we began this conversation was by saying that it feels like the men's team could have responded sooner and could have issued a statement sooner, that they sort of did it when it seems like their interests were aligned in that moment. Yeah, because f- again, their yeah. CBA expired at mm-hmm. the end of 2018. They don't have a CBA right now. They're negotiate, trying to negotiate a new one. Right, so then it makes me slightly dubious of the idea that they would then embrace this, like, yes, and let's be equal in all ways when it comes to money as opposed to like this one time it was advantageous for us to support you but maybe in the future like no we want our money but the one argument might be that so in this not complaint in this statement from the men's team they Uh talk about how the federation is making way more money than the federation expected to make um and was like saying they were poor and that's why they couldn't afford big raises Mm -hmm. and they essentially at least hint at the idea that a fair deal would be 
a, just a percentage of revenue deal, as opposed to like a set number, a percentage of commercial revenue that we bring in, which then means that just the more money the federation makes, the more money the players make, mm-hmm. which isn't how it has worked before, uh, to my understanding. Yep. So maybe that if if the men are offered, okay, we can do that. We can do percentage of revenue, but you've got to tie it to the women's as well. Mm-hmm. Maybe that is like a, a good a good thing that could happen. What or if a, they, good, a good solution to this problem? What if the men agree to that, but their counter is that you have to bring Ali Krieger instead of Tierra Davidson and Ashlyn Harris instead of Adriana French? I still think we had a good shot at the Olympics, <laughs> right? All, All right. right, should we move on? I, th- I suppose oh, we should. Okay, uh, Corey Walters. Uh, re- recently, Ryan Bailey mentioned that in the UK, Premier League games are blacked out. Uh, what does this mean, and why does this blackout exist? So, what this refers to is um, if a game kicks off in England at three o'clock on Saturday it cannot be televised Mm -hmm. and in fact if any game in the whole world kicks off at what amounts to 3 p.m UK time it cannot be televised in the UK are you just like is it dedicated Corhi broadcasting in that like two-hour window is that like is it is it carved out for the queen to do whatever she wants to do why is 3 p.m so protected 3 p.m is protected this goes back to the 1960s where the Burnley chairman Bob Lord persuaded everybody in the football league that um, if the if they started broadcasting games at 3 p.m. on a Saturday, which is the traditional kickoff time for mm-hmm. all football in England, like, like my local team in the seventh tier called Hale's Own Town, Saturday 3 p.m. is their kickoff, right? Most teams that aren't on television, Saturday 3 p.m. is their kickoff, right? So Bob Lord's argument was if there's a high-profile game televised Saturday at 3 p.m., say it's Liverpool versus Manchester United, ah, mm-hmm. People are much more likely to stay in and watch that game instead of going to watch lower league football or, you know, like second division football or third division football. And that we're better off uh, having a blackout of all 3 p.m. kickoff TV games to prevent people having an alternative and making them go and watch football live. I completely understand that argument, and it makes total sense until you think about it for 30 seconds. And then it's just like, <laughs> yeah, no, that's not how that works. Why isn't that how that works? Be- because like, I'm speaking for myself that if I'm watching a game, if I feel like watching a game at 3 p.m. that's on television, I will watch that game. But if that game is suddenly blacked out and now I have the opportunity to like go leave my house and walk 15 minutes to the stadium, even that – ease of like occurrence is still probably not going to happen because I was watching the game because it was com- like convenient for me it doesn't necessarily follow that like I'm so focused on watching soccer at 3pm that because I can't watch it on TV I'm going somewhere else okay that makes sense but it, I think it did make sense at the time because mm-hmm. televised football was much 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 rarer in the 60s and the 70s that is right? probably fair right now you can watch a football match on television probably every hour they of every day they didn't have FUBO in the 60s they did not have FUBO TV in the 60s and so it's a big deal right if there was a game televised Saturday at 3pm mm-hmm. I guarantee a lot of people would have gathered around their TV to see players that they couldn't see very often mm-hmm. because there wasn't televised football I think it made sense back in the day I don't think it makes sense now because there's just football available all the time yeah and there are like backdoor ways around that with VPNs and different exactly. sort of streams and all that so you can still like that there are still options out there that are now not necessarily as legal means that maybe it's it's maybe time to revisit that one yep maybe that's what the premier league uh netflix streaming system will end up doing the Premier League Netflix Yeah, Ryan, Ryan and I talked about it on the Weekend Review that it came out that I believe the, the, whoever's the chief of the FA basically said that, yeah, like we are going to pursue a Netflix-style streaming package where all the games would be available here. You buy a subscription, and then you have access to any Premier League game you want and archive games as well. I think so, yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right, I mean, that would be the package that they would – I think the conversation was that they were going to trial it in – they wanted to trial it in, in Singapore where like Singtel pays £70 million or something like that for the rights. Yeah. Whereas – but they 
have like 100 million subscribers, and so they want to see if charging them 10 pounds a month would be more cost effective. Premier League teams would much rather have the 70 million in hand versus the 100 million in the bush or whatever. So is this like cutting out the middleman? And yes, the Premier League would just literally produce their that. own because they already yes. produce their own stuff mm-hmm. and then sell it, right? Yeah. Now they just produce their own stuff and sell it directly to consumers and cut out the. Uh... That's the one. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I could go for that. Yeah. Uh, I but I think that. you have to convince the Premier League teams to go for that, and that yeah. seems to be the harder sell right now. All right. So have we made sense of Corey's question? Yes, there's, so. Why there's a 3 p.m. blackout? Mm-hmm. I think I explained why it made sense at the time. Yep. Because it would have been a big deal to see Liverpool Man United mm-hmm. in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, and I think, I, I think I'm on the side of thinking it's we're just way beyond that now because mm-hmm. of VPNs yep. and streams. You don't even need a VPN, right? You can just watch an illegal stream, right? You, so I know you thought I was just being a jerk with my uh, Queen Corgi question. Yeah. But it, it – it was a joke, but it was rooted in, I believe I am correct in saying that the obligation that broadcasters here in the United States have is to, for one hour a night, they have to air news. Yeah. That is like the rule in order to get your license to broadcast. So I didn't know if there was a thing where like 3 p.m. in England, you're required to have like news or some sort of public broadcast. No, no. That means that blackout occurs. Yep. Instead, it's just go out and watch some soccer. Yep. Gotcha. Exactly right. <laughs> and again, to, although um, they would say football. The one uh, counter, I've just thought about this. When you were saying, oh, I've got to decide to walk 15 minutes down the yeah. street and watch that or mm-hmm. to sit here and watch television, it wouldn't have been like that back in the day. It would have this been, oh, that game's coming. Mm. Saturday, 3 p.m., I'm making plans to watch yep. that game. Mm-hmm. I'm watching Liverpool, man. You know, you know what yep. I mean? It would be a big event that you plan for versus planning to go and see uh, Macclesfield versus Grimsby. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> wow, you, you went real bleak. <laughs> Um, let's move it on to uh, another slightly lower league question. Oh, I yeah. Guess. Yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Porter. I think it's uh, James Porter. Uh, how is Wayne Rooney doing at Derby? And since Derby are mid table in the championship, 13th out of 24 right now, does this tell us anything about the standard of Major League Soccer versus the championship? So I couldn't sleep last night. I watched a lot of uh, Wayne Rooney playing for Derby. And then I watched a lot of Wayne Rooney in Major League Soccer. Can you push your glasses up while you say that, please? Thank you. Thank you. There we go. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So, okay. First, uh, Wayne Rooney's doing okay for Derby. That's that's what I wrote. (laughs) Doing okay, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. He's not lighting it up, but he's he's looking pretty Mm -hmm. good. He's playing as a central midfielder in either like a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-1-4-1. He's often coming quite deep and collecting the ball and either like hitting big diagonal passes or just connecting passes through midfield, right? He's, a, he's basically um, a championship register. Mm-hmm. That's what Wayne Rooney um, is doing for Derby. And he's doing fine, but watching Wayne Rooney play centre forward for DC United and then watching him play central midfield for Derby, the big thing I noticed um, in terms of like comparing mm-hmm. the standards is that there's way more space in Major League Soccer. That, yeah, that doesn't surprise yeah. me. Yeah. He receives the ball in midfield for Derby and... Watching him play against Stoke or Bristol City or I think Luton, like, you know, teams that you don't think of as like magnificent, glamorous teams, but they get defensively really well organized really quickly. Like, they get men behind the ball, they get in a shape, they make it hard for Wayne Rooney to, to make anything happen. Watching him, going back and watching it for Major League Soccer, there's just very often big open spaces for Wayne Rooney to pass into or to run into. Mm-hmm. I honestly think that championship teams, this is what the question is about, right? Comparing the standards. Championship teams are defensively, tactically more sophisticated and tougher to break through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not trying to be like uh, dismissive of the championship at all, but like 
I'm wondering if this analogy is correct or if you would disagree. I think about it like we like we talked about with the Richmond Kickers in League One last season, where the Kickers had this idea that they were going to play this sort of expansive possession style, and it feels like a lot of other League One teams were set up to like defend rigorously, press, and counter aggressively. Yeah, and it kind of overwhelmed a sort of possession style. And I guess in my mind that relates to this question with Rooney because in Major League Soccer you've got more teams playing different styles, different systems that maybe favor. Sometimes he has a ton of space. Every now and then maybe he's going to come under pressure, but there's more space. Whereas in the championship, I feel like it is more physical and it is more, at the very least, we're playing for a draw. Is that fair to say, or do you think that's too dismissive of the championship? I don't think it's more physical. I think it's as physical. Okay. I just think all the players are uh, essentially tactically more sophisticated. Okay. Right? And all the, the setups for each team is tactically more sophisticated in terms of how they defend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Then, so, then Major League Soccer across the board? Then Major League Soccer, at least um, mm-hmm. in the, the Wayne Rooney highlights I went back and watched. And I think like if you look at a lot of Major League Soccer goals, there are you know defensive mistakes and there are there are spaces that get exploited. I think the championship mm-hmm. is just harder to play through teams. Yeah. I mean, and, I, I, think, I think it... I, I genuinely feel that the championship is still probably one of the 10 strongest leagues in Europe. Yeah, for <laughs> like, sure. And, yeah. and so I don't think it's that it's very, then... Like, players get paid a lot of mm-hmm. money to play in the championship. Yeah. Really, that money really has trickled down from yeah. the Premier League into the championship. Yeah. Who knew trickle down works? It's the only time it works. <laughs> um, also, uh-huh. Wayne Rooney is getting booed in the championship mm. because people go to support their team, right? You're going to support Bristol City. You see Wayne Rooney, this famous player, England's all-time top goal mm-hmm. scorer. You don't go and sort of like, oh, I'm watching Wayne Rooney, which yeah. is what happened in Major League Soccer. That is like, true. I saw that. It's not like, oh, I'm excited to watch Wayne Rooney. It's Wayne Rooney's the enemy, thinks he's big time, coming and playing against my team. Boo! <laughs> every time he gets the ball, uh, like big laughs and as every time his shot goes mm-hmm. over the bar. Like he is really facing some sort of... Uh, not not like pressure he can't handle, but he's facing um, a, a, a crowd that definitely wants to be um, antagonistic towards him. So it's a very different atmosphere when really playing the championship versus Major League Soccer. Two questions. Yeah. One, uh, Ryan Bailey would be mad at me and I would be remiss if I didn't ask. Are you sure they're not saying Booerns? I checked they're not. Okay. Second thing, we did talk like maybe a month or so ago about how we felt like Rooney could be playing in the Premier League yes. if he sort of wanted that if the situation aligned, if it worked out for him, that like even Man United would probably be strengthened by having Wayne Rooney in there. Having watched what you've seen from him more recently, do you feel like that is still the case or do you think like his yeah. game has slipped he off looks, a No, bit? he looks super sharp. Like okay. He's getting the ball in midfield. He's like moving it on, passing, moving, making things happen. And what really sparks is when... He plays from deep, right? Then he'll give it to, say, Dwayne Holmes, and they'll, they'll move the ball forward. He will be like the late-arriving attacker. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. Once Derby get up on top of teams, Wayne Rooney steps out of that deep midfield and becomes a late-arriving attacker. Um, and he scored a goal like that recently. Dwayne Holmes, you've probably seen the clip of Dwayne Holmes squares it to mm-hmm. Rooney. Rooney arrives and like hits it top corner. Um, and he looks really sharp when he's doing it. Very few mistakes in his game. Like His passing is... Um, clever and deceptive and uh, really on point because mm-hmm. he is a wonderful footballer his technique is magnificent his vision is magnificent he still looks sharp it's, it's really it's really strange though because I'm, I'm with you that like he's looked fine but he hasn't looked like that next level player but yeah. I think it's because he just he just isn't anymore and you're absolutely right then I've struggled with like why this seems so strange to me but it is the case that coming to Major League Soccer coming to DC United it's Wayne Rooney he's the like the fundamental piece of that system yeah like fans are going to be interested in seeing what he does and probably some players like coming to mind like Reggie Cannon who you mentioned previously when he's a young defender starting out like that's Wayne Rooney like it's a big deal yeah. and maybe you're just going to be a little bit more afraid of the reputation you're going to stand off a little bit more maybe that changes as he plays more and more in the league but yeah it makes sense then that at the championship you're not going to get that you're not going to get that mm. level of like reverence for him as opposed to like I'm going to win the ball for Wayne Rooney yeah, as aggressively a, as I can there's a lot of high profile players yeah. in the championship right Wayne Rooney's still a, he's a big deal in the yeah. championship but yeah, Tim Reem is there 
<laughs> but like all kinds of internationals yeah. are in the championship. Matt right? Miazga. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> sure. Uh, you want to ask this one? Yeah, Joey Jadlowski mm-hmm. asks. Um, it seems U.S. Soccer Twitter and Reddit is still not on board with Greg Berhalter. Mm. It's true in sections, yep. right? Um, Joey asks, do you think the main reason for this is, but A, Berhalter's family tied to Jay Berhalter and the way he got the job, B, the fact that Berhalter is American and not a fancy foreign coach, C, Berhalter's ties to Major League Soccer and the fact that he coached there for a long time, or D, the fact that he hasn't coached at a high level in Europe. So Berhalter mm-hmm. did go and coach in Sweden, did okay, didn't do anything magnificent. So right, so it's not like European experience in the way that say Jesse Marsh is getting. Uh, and Travis and I did establish today that it's why Greg Berhalter hates the Danes because he <laughs> coached in Sweden. He doesn't really. Um, I think I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this one. Uh, I think for the people mentioned by Joey, U.S. Soccer Twitter and Reddit, I think it is almost entirely option A. His family tie to Gre- Jay Berhalter and mostly the second half of it, the way he was perceived to get the job. That like, okay. He seemed like he was going to be the front runner from the very beginning and then it, it took us a year. We didn't hear much about who was being hired or who the candidates were and then suddenly he's the coach and I think the connection to, Ber- uh, to Jay, his brother, who's no longer there. We talk about that. Oh yeah. Um, maybe, yeah maybe we'll get into that in a second because yeah. I did it on like a pre-roll essentially because mm-hmm. the news broke after we recorded yeah. it. But, yeah. and then, but I think for people like my dad or some of my friends who really only watch in like big tournaments or when big games are happening, I think it's more so option C with a little bit of D thrown in. So because, C is his ties to Major League Soccer, yeah. and D is the fact he hasn't coached a high yeah. level in Europe. Because if you're my dad, who's tuning in for the World Cup, and you're like, "Who's this Berhalter guy? Like, where did he coach in Europe? Like, who do you, did he coach in England? Did he coach in Germany?" And once yeah. that answer doesn't come across, I think there's a little more skepticism. Mm-hmm. But I think for people who are actively writing about it on Twitter and Reddit, they obviously are much more familiar with Greg Berhalter and what he's doing, or generally speaking, are more familiar with what he's doing. So I think a lot of it has to do with the perceived way he got the job. So so with the exception of B, yep. the fact that he's American and not foreign, mm-hmm. I would say it's kind of all of the above, which yeah. is essentially what you said, right? Mm-hmm. You mentioned A, C, and D. Um, yeah, I think it's weird that like – sorry. It, it's weird to me that it's like mostly A, but I feel like it is some combination of the other two and then none of them because really I think what it comes down to is like Greg Berhalter isn't – and I don't mean this in a negative. He's just not that, like, there's no big thing that stands out about him. And I mean it, like, genuinely as, like, Nuno has the big beard but speaks quietly. <laughs> and, like, Guardiola is intense on the sidelines. And yeah, Mourinho yeah. is very, you know, dour and angry-faced. And, like, Greg Berhalter is just kind of Greg Berhalter. Like, he gives you very articulate answers and is very straightforward. But he's very unemotional. He's very dry. He's yeah. very academic. And so I think there's not that, that other thing that, like, brings, like, oh, I believe in that guy. I want to rally behind that guy. And even though the players seem to, mm-hmm. I think that is kind of part of it. I also think that people were just ready to be mad at the U.S. Soccer Federation. Very good point. And I think a lot of this is uh, it works backwards, right? A lot of fans were mad at U.S. Soccer Federation. Berhalter gets a job, and they essentially want to take yeah. out their frustrations with the federation, which you know was part of failing to qualify for the World Cup mm-hmm. um, on Berhalter. And then you ba- reverse engineer reasons to dislike Greg Berhalter. Yeah, right? I, I would say most people didn't know about the Jay Berhalter connection until after they were already mad, mm-hmm. and then it becomes a thing of oh well, we, of course we can't fire Greg Berhalter; his brother's in charge, mm-hmm. right? Which he, again, he's not; he was the commercial officer. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, th- I think a lot of it is like finding reasons um, in a backwards way. Yeah. But I also do think if say. Berhalter had won trophies in MLS or in Europe, it would just be easier to mount a defense for Greg Berhalter that wasn't, okay, well, he's got this style, and I think it might work, and you've got to be patient, and mm-hmm. things, things might come good, which is essentially my argument, right? Mm-hmm. I think things will eventually come good, and you're starting to see it. Um, I, I think it, it's just harder to make a case for him in the simplistic way that people, some people yeah. on Twitter and Reddit just want evidence of like, oh, well, he won this. 
right? So yeah. it's, it's much harder to make the argument. I agree. My water bottle agrees as well. No spillage, though, right? No spillage. It was, it was no closed, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I, sense? I think you've, you've done a very good job of laying it out because – and with that in mind, I would say it, it's still a little bit to me the way he got the job, but mostly it's U.S. soccer – and sort of like all of the feelings we have about U.S. soccer, as you said, because then when he comes in and is preaching like, well, it's got to take time. you got to be patient. We're going to try to build this style of play for yeah. people who've already waited the year and then we didn't qualify for the World Cup. There's that feeling people of like, out of patience. I ain't got time for patience. Yeah, they were yeah. Patience, out of patience from the moment he started. Yeah. It would have been much better um, from a public perception standpoint to have a coach that came in and played a high press yeah because you would be able to see it it would be really exciting everybody would be up on their feet i think mm-hmm. that would have been the better pr move yep. right but i would argue now looking back the moment ernie stewart was hired as originally u.s men's national team gm ernie stewart loves a dutch system mm-hmm. right greg berhalter is a dutch style coach he believes in the dutch system or the cruyff system or whatever you want to call it the positional play type stuff um it was always going to be berhalter i think because he fits the vision that mm-hmm. ernie stewart has from for u.s soccer yep i'm with you yeah i agree so i think it's probably and there were times when i was frustrated with greg berhalter and yeah. you were frustrated with him and, and o- I think october was, against canada was the time when i was like all right we're getting too much into the principles of play and not enough into yep. the principles of winning this game the one that yeah. the one that will forever stand out to me in terms of being very confused by greg berhalter and very skeptical was when he got the questions after the mexico loss and his response was sort of like oh i see where we're going with this and it's yeah. like well, did you think it was going to go elsewhere like yeah. we just got it handed to us by Mexico. And I guess I would argue again that, yeah, he didn't – I don't think he put enough emphasis on the fact that it's Mexico. Yep. Pr- in a weird way, a result mm-hmm. is more important yep. than – for most people, the result is more important than the learning process. Mm-hmm. Whereas for Berhalter, that was part of the learning yep. process. And I think that wasn't communicated clearly before and it wasn't communicated well afterward. But I think we've kind of survived and weathered that. And I think in the long run, maybe he's right. Yeah, right? I think I think honestly, I think that is but a the situation. Time it's horrible. It did, and that's where I feel like it's a strange situation in which, in that moment, I think the fans are right for being really, and we were right, I think, for being frustrated by that answer and that lack of sort of accountability. Mm-hmm. But I also think Greg Berhalter was right if you see it from his perspective of, no, we're trying to figure things out. I'm kind of, if you imagine him as just sort of completely insulated against all that pressure of like play an attacking style, play this system, and is instead like, no, we're building towards what we want to be building towards, then you're going to be kind of confused by why everybody's like, why didn't you play this entirely fundamentally different thing? Yeah. It's like, well, of course we weren't going to do that. We're trying to build towards what we're trying to build towards. But you can then also understand why that would be frustrating to the fans. So I think that kind of explains the situation pretty well overall. So let's talk Jay Berhalter. Mm -hmm. So for those who didn't catch it, Jay Berhalter um, was the – oh, I forgot what his job title was. um, COO, I think. Okay. Was he the chief operations officer, I think? Or was he not even that high up officially? Okay, let's put it this way. He was mostly in charge of commercial stuff, Mm -hmm. but he seemed to have a big influence over what was going on all around U.S. soccer. Mm -hmm. When Dan Flint, the CEO, announced he was stepping down, there definitely was a feeling at U.S. soccer house that Jay Berhalter was the heir apparent. Mm -hmm. Then the Glassdoor reviews came in about the terrible workplace culture at U.S. soccer house, and a lot of them implicated or directly said that a lot of it stems from Jay Berhalter. Then Carlos Cordero reopened the search for a CEO, claiming that they didn't have enough candidates. He was asked, was this in response to the Glassdoor uh, mm-hmm. reviews? He said, no, it's just a coincidence. I just straight up don't believe him. No. Straight up don't believe him. I think that's maybe fine to try and cover it, but I think the case is that... I tend to go Sherlock Holmes when it comes to coincidences. Yeah, because then there was also that they said that they conducted an internal review of people's feelings about the workplace culture. So mm-hmm. essentially it was the Glassdoor thing, but then they had it on US soccer headed yep. paper <laughs> and some internal feedback 
and decided, okay, mm-hmm. Jay Behalter is not the guy to be CEO. Okay, so now he's stepping down and uh, he's definitely not going to be the next CEO. No. So that's been the big change. So the, the thing of uh, the Behalter brothers, that has to disappear now. You could maybe still argue it about his hiring, but you can't argue it for um, the, the future situation because Jay Behalter won't be there. He won't be. But it did feel like when this first started that it was going to be sort of similar to the way Greg Berhalter eventually was hired. It felt like eventually Jay Berhalter is going to be CEO. We just kind of kind of do it quietly, and then the glass door stuff comes out, and then it's got to be like, all right, got to let that die down a little bit. But maybe it didn't die down, and maybe Carlos Cordero then has to take action. But it did feel for a while like it was just kind of an inevitability that Jay Berhalter was going to take over. That he has not and has instead stepped down. Feel bad for him for not having a job, but I think it does kind <laughs> of instill. He's going to be fine. Yeah, but yeah. I think it does instill a bit more confidence, generally speaking, in U.S. soccer than having the head coach and the CEO not be particularly popular. Yeah, and it, do you think it's a step forward yeah, for U.S. soccer? Definitely, um, and things will be better. I do think we're seeing tiny improvements, tiny mm-hmm. improvements, tiny improvements. Uh, I think we might be getting towards things being okay, unless things yep. go horribly wrong with World Cup qualifying in September. Unless. That's a big old <laughs> unless. Uh, anything else on this one before we move on to the final question? Um, slash questions? One, you were right. He was COO, mm-hmm. Chief Operating Officer, um, formerly Chief like Commercial Strategy. He was, For example, it was Jay Behelter that designed the system where um, the ticket prices were set to maximize revenue mm-hmm. as opposed to maximizing attendance. Yep. That's just an example of a reason I'm not a fan. Yeah, wasn't it <laughs> like, Behelter's spell like the week he stepped soccer. down, wasn't it like that slide came out where they were kind of boasting about they were still making profits off of games and yes. it was like, yes, attendances are way, way down, but we're still making money yeah, because we're charging too much. There's a small, yeah. Well, there's a small yeah. group of people who pay big, big yeah. money. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, revenue goes up even as there are fewer and fewer fans there. Hooray. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm, I'm happy with things the way they are. Uh, anything oh, else? Yeah, the only other thing is I think Jay Behelter will probably land a job at Soccer United Marketing or some other sports what? company. Yeah. And for more on Soccer United Marketing, see season three of Soccer 101. When that one comes out, we're going to talk a little oh. bit about Soccer United Marketing. I don't remember. I thought we'd already recorded that and I'd nah. forgotten it. No, no. We're, yeah, that's going to be one of the episodes, right? Yep. Explaining what Soccer United Marketing I is. I believe we are what's now known as pot committed. Uh, Kaz <laughs> Tidrick and Richard Rolson, final questions. Kaz says, why don't we see more player movement from USL to Major League Soccer from teams that aren't affiliates? Richard asks, why don't MLS teams look to USL to fill some of their roster needs? What would you do to change this and make player movement up from... Uh, USL a more viable option for MLS teams. I'm just going to go ahead and roll my chair away from the microphone and let Daryl talk for five minutes. Okay, so we did think we had an answer to this uh, for Kaz and Richard's questions when we interviewed uh, Phil Grooms and Ira Jersey, a member in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And we st- in, in both interviews, we talked about how there was a little bit of movement, and they but they weren't paying that much money. But right. there was some transfer activity between USL and Major League Soccer. I had an inkling afterwards that one of the reasons was the way transfers are treated in MLS. I've asked around and I've sort of got the answer confirmed. I should have known this. We should have known this. Um, Any transfer fee that's not a DP is absorbed into the uh, salary budget. Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. Right. So if you buy a player for what's an easy way to do this, if you bought a player for Mm $100,000 and paid that player Mm $100,000 for one year, his salary budget charge of your total money that you're allowed to spend in MLS would be $200,000, right? right? If you bought him and gave him a two-year contract, it would be $50,000 one year, $50,000 the next year. Essentially, the transfer fee has to be amortized across your salary budget. So I think the major stumbling block we have is MLS teams are very reticent to pay USL teams transfer fees because they don't want to then absorb that transfer fee 
into their salary budget because it's less money you can pay in salary and it makes you less competitive. Couple that with USL Championship and USL League One players because of the finances of USL, they're not on long-term contracts, mm-hmm. right? So it's much easier to wait for a player's contract to expire and then try and pick up a player. Right. Because, than pay because, a transfer yeah, fee. Yeah. Because, I mean, like right now we have the system in Europe where if you have the free transfer, you can sign six months before your contract technically expires. Yeah. But even then, that club is going to try desperately to re-sign you so that you then have to do the transfer fee. Yeah. Whereas in USL, if you really, really, if you're a player who maybe, maybe you've been contacted by an MLS team, I don't know if that would be legal, but if you're backing yourself to make that move you would much rather back yourself being out of contract, free to kind of have yep. trials wherever you want, as opposed to have your best career ever, sign a long-term deal, mm-hmm. and then hope an MLS team pays that But also, fee. USL doesn't do long-term deals because they don't want to make the long-term yeah. financial commitment. Mm-hmm. So there's that as well. It works yep. on both ends. But then at the same time, MLS is not going to come in with a good bid for a USL player because they're going to have to absorb that into their salary budget. Right. That's, I think that's the major thing. This is a thing I would love to change in Major League Soccer. I would love the rich owners to be able to pay transfer fees around the world and not have to have it absorbed into the salary budget. Mm-hmm. This is a thing that's protecting the cheap owners. Yeah. Right? It is. I just see, I, uh, my brain, Arthur for whatever Blank could reason, spend a fortune on like, would, $500,000 here, a million dollars here, just transfer fees that you don't have to then account for. Yeah. My brain automatically goes to loopholes of like, all right, we're going to have our USL team sign Ronaldo. <laughs> then we're going <laughs> to sign him from our USL team outside of that so that we then don't have to pay that transfer fee. <laughs> hey, if you want to hear about loopholes, listen to um, Allocation Disorder. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Paul and Sam Stacio got into some MLS roster loopholes oh, um, on yesterday's show. I found it really, really interesting. Yep. Yeah. All right. I'm, um, I'm, I'm excited for that. Um, so I hope we answered Kaz and Richard's question there. I think that's a major thing. That's the thing I would change. Mm. I would let teams spend their own money. If, they, if the owner wants to spend money on a transfer fee, don't make them absorb it into the salary budget. Or, or it, um, what, what are we talking about? Lamb. We talked about uh, yes, lower league, league allocation. allocation money. Yeah. yeah, where you could just build that in as like you're allowed to pay that like like that money for the transfer out like away from your salary budget yeah. out of your own pocket up to a certain level or something like that. You could do and it that what, way too. What has happened now is because there's a little more allocation money mm-hmm. available in the new CBA, some clubs are using that because they're a bit freer to then go and spend that mm-hmm. on essentially transfer fees to USL. So you'll mm-hmm. see a little bit of it, but the market still won't like mature or rocket up until there's just loads and loads of money available, which is, could be what the two L stand for as well. It should be <laughs> loads four and loads. L's. Loads and loads of lower league allocation money. I appreciated the slight delay as you made sure you'd said four L's and then you finished out with allocation money quite brilliantly. Oh, we've answered all the questions. We have. Well done, us. Thank you to everybody for the questions. We really enjoyed it. If you would like to send us a question, it's totalsoccershow.com slash questions. That checks out. That checks out indeed. We are – there's no more shows this week because it's Friday. Mm -hmm. We will be back um, on Monday with a weekend review. I just loudly yawned off mic. So, yeah, we're done. (laughs) I say we. It'll be Taylor and Ryan on Monday. Mm -hmm. Then Taylor and I will be back on Tuesday and Wednesday with Champions League reviews. I'm so excited. Even without Tyler Adams, I'm excited for the Champions League. Dortmund, PSG, Mm -hmm. bring it on. It's going to be epic. (laughs) All right, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.